Well, good evening and welcome. I'm so glad to see you tonight. And uh, boy, I have looked forward since last Wednesday night to be able to come back and to continue teaching from Revelation chapter 4. <clears throat> but before I do, last week I tried to take a look and help you to see in a very inspirational way, I pray, the worship that was taking place in heaven. And tonight, I'd like to take you through and help you understand some of the symbolism. But before we do, two verses from Revelation chapter 3 that we've already looked at. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. And then in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. And you remember last week we talked about how John was caught up in the Spirit into heaven and there was an open door there for him. Doorways are fascinating topics to study. Open doors, shut doors, and then doorways like in the wardrobe in all of C.S. Lewis's Narnia books. But in an excellent book that I'd recommend to you, Healing Grace by David Siemens, he writes this story, and I want you to listen carefully. For more than 600 years, the Habsburgs exercised political power in Europe. And when Emperor Franz Joseph I of Austria died in 1916, he was the last of the extravagant imperial funerals. Now, before I go any further, I, I want you to know that having been to Vienna a number of times and, and, and uh, throughout that Austro-Hungarian empire, and to see what was built in those days, you just can't begin to imagine the absolute beauty and the majesty of some of those Central European capitals and the fabulous wealth that was there. So now that you, you just kind of transport yourself back a hundred years in time, this would have been the pinnacle, this would have been before the collapse. A procession of dignitaries and elegantly dressed court personages escorted the coffin draped in the black and gold imperial colors. To the accompaniment of a military band, somber dirges, and by the light of torches, the cortege descended the stairs of the Capuchin Monastery in Vienna, and at the bottom was a great iron door leading to the Habsburg family crypt. Behind the door was the Cardinal Archbishop of Vienna, and the officer in charge following the prescribed ceremony established centuries before Open, he cried. Who goes there, responded the cardinal. We bear the remains of his imperial and apostolic majesty, Franz Joseph I, by the grace of God, emperor of Austria, king of Hungary, defender of the faith, prince of Bohemia, Moravia, grand duke of Lombardy, Venetia, and Stagia. The officer continued to list the emperor's 37 titles. Listen, we know him not, replied the cardinal. Who goes there? The officer spoke again, this time using a much abbreviated and less ostentatious title reserved for times of expediency. We know him not, the cardinal said again. Who goes there? And the officer tried a third time, stripping the emperor of all but the humblest of titles. We bear the body of Franz Joseph, our brother, a sinner like us all. And at that, the doors was opened and Franz Joseph was admitted. Siemens goes on to write, how that death is the great equalizer of us all. Years ago, I used to preach a message on how the death lamps that the book of Job talks about, and talked about everyone who went there. They left their titles, they left their power, they left their prestige, they left their wealth, their education. And with the poorest of poor, and with the most wicked of wicked, we all go to those same doors. What matters is if we follow in repentance and in faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. So tonight, it's important, if you're going to understand Revelation, that you approach this humbly and you approach this in a spirit of awe and in a spirit of worship, not in a spirit of worry. Most of the people that I talk to when they come to Revelation, they're wanting to find out when's the tribulation, is the church going through the tribulation, and they're worried about so many things. If you approach Revelation with worry, you'll never understand the book. If you approach Revelation with idle curiosity, you'll never understand the book. It's important how you come to the Bible, and it's important how you study the book of Revelation. We looked at last week the incredible doorway that John stepped through. John actually steps into heaven, whether in the spirit or whether literally, you know, I can't tell you that for sure. I just know what the Bible says. He heard a voice, the voice of Jesus saying, come up hither, and there he was in heaven. He, unlike Ezekiel and unlike Isaiah, who saw heaven, saw into heaven, John actually in the spirit enters into heaven. He sees what's going on. 
And this is much about what Revelation is. It's about our future. But to also understand Revelation, you've got to have the perspective that I've tried to give you for two and a half years was in the book of, in the book of Genesis, because the book of Genesis, I think, is key to understanding Revelation, as are the other four books of the, of the Pentateuch. They're key, and you'll see some of that tonight. But I also spent a year going through and preaching through the book of Daniel before that to give us some keys to understanding. Now, if you didn't get any of those, don't worry. You can still understand this book. But there are books that you need to study and apply yourself to because the Bible is one seamless book. It's one book that all fits together with different types of literature. In Revelation, there are 300 references to the Old Testament alone just in this one single book. There are symbols in this book. We talked about some of those last week. We've talked about those when we got started and we looked at the seven churches. They're the importance of understanding symbolism. We would have understood those symbols if we lived in that time. If I say golden arches, what am I talking about? Sure, of course, I'm talking about McDonald's. If I was to hold up a certain curvy uh, soft drink bottle up here, you'd go Coca-Cola. If I was to hold up an apple with a bite out of it, you'd think about Apple computers. We understand symbols. Those things are important to us. Well, the Bible days, they understood the symbols of seven. They knew what seven stood for. They knew what multiples of seven stood for. When you go through this chapter, and we'll look at those tonight, they understood what eyes, because that's kind of a grotesque picture when you look at those creatures covered with eyes. And I remember I tried to draw that out in a Daniel Revelation class I took when I was in college, and I looked at that, and that was just ugly, you know? And I was like, until I understood what those eyes stood for and meant, there's something powerful that they would have understood. They understood what the symbolism of the wings were, the stars, the lamps. Time is also understood differently by the church than by us today. The church always understood time not as secular but as linear. Time is going somewhere. There is a beginning of time and there's an end of time as we know it. But when you come to the Bible and when you come to the book of Revelation, you've got to forget just a moment our linear, which is a correct view of time. We are not circular people. We don't believe that just what goes around comes around, that sort of thing. History has a destination. History is his story. There is a destination. Time we'll know. Time is different when you come to the book of Revelation because God wants you to see and understand what's happening and what's going on. But things that John sees, now this is important, things that John sees as happening haven't happened yet. They are yet to happen in the book of Revelation. But with God, past, present, and future are all there before him. He is eternal. And that is a very difficult concept for our minds to grasp hold of. God is not constricted. It's one of the things that Einstein just, just, just marveled over. Time is different in eternity than time that we are upon. The Bible says that a day with us is like a thousand years unto the Lord when it comes to eternity, but time is all present in God. So I think we've gotten a great start to the book of Revelation, but here's what I want you to know. Before the bowls and before the scrolls, there's worship, and that's what we looked at last week. Say that with me. Before the bowls and before the scrolls. I'm hoping that rhyme will help you. Before the bowls and before the scrolls, there is worship. And you know there's going to be bowls and scrolls and harps and lamps and things of that nature as we go through. There is an attitude that God wants you to adopt as you read through Revelation. These are today's headlines. I just put down just a few of them. Today's headlines from the three major papers that I read in the morning besides our Detroit News. President Trump President Trump blasts disgraceful disclosure. South Koreans turn down volume on Trump's, as Trump talks up summit. Trump removes, moves to renew trade strain. Political arguments consume Google. U.S. reports point to setbacks in Afghanistan. Israel claims on Iran divide Europe and the U.S. on merits of nuclear deal. And then just one more, ticks and mosquitoes, just to make you feel good about your summertime picnics this summer. Ticks and mosquitoes infection are spreading rapidly according to the CDC fines. Can anybody say, come on down, Lord Jesus, come soon, you know? <laughs> when I look at the newspaper, you know, it's, it, I've warned you before, you don't want to try and read your newspaper into the Bible. You want to interpret your newspaper by the Bible. 
But the way to come to this is not with worry. The way to come with this is our greatest ambition is to know our God. So would you stand with me one more time tonight? I told you it'd be a long introduction. And let's read chapter 4 again together. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And at the same time, the same voice I'd heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast, the voice of Jesus. The voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit. I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as as gemstones like Jasper and Carnelian. Those are the first and the last stones of the breastplate of the high priest. Those two stones are very, very important. You need to remember those. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. You see half a rainbow, but now you see a full. If we look at it from the earth, we see just a half. But the full rainbow circles the throne of God. 24 thrones surround him and 24 elders set on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. And this is the sevenfold spirit of God. And in front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. Now you can see why I said that it looks weird, but once you understand it, it's beautiful. The first of these living beings was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. And each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. And day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. And whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and they worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, and they lay their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. Father, I ask you this evening that you would just open our eyes and give us the ability now to understand these symbols so that as we go through the rest of this book together, Lord, we will have a greater appreciation, a greater confidence in your Holy Spirit who inspires us, Lord, who inspired this word and who inspires us, Oh, Lord, without you, we are dry and we are perishing. Without you, Lord, we lack the insight and the perception that we need in your word. But our Savior told us, Holy Spirit, you would give us understanding and you would teach us all that we need to know. So I pray for that anointing that breaks yokes and removes bondages and that opens our eyes as we read your word, that God, we will all become workmen and workwomen that need not to be ashamed when it comes to dealing with these precious things of Christ. I ask all of this for your glory and honor. And everybody agreed and said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Well, last week as we looked, heaven is the place of God's dwelling. Heaven is the place of God's dwelling. And we talked about the different levels of heaven. So let me walk back through that quickly tonight. And because I didn't try to just break it out for you, I just told you real quick. Revelation 3.12, we've always already studied that all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God. And they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God. And they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Last week I shared with you how that the temple was built and patterned after the temple that was in heaven. And what John is seeing is a temple. He's seeing the place of God's dwelling in heaven. Anybody have any idea what the word for heaven is? You're familiar with a planet called Uranus? That's the Greek word that that describes heaven. It describes the sky above us. It describes the place of God's dwelling. And it also describes, the second one, the cosmic order of creation. This heaven is this, the heavenlings above us. You know, we're taught that uh, our battle is not against one another, but our battle is against principalities and the powers of darkness. There is a cosmic order of creation that is beyond just this planet that we live upon. The Bible says there was war in heaven. The same word, Uranus. 
There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. Revelation chapter 12, 7. We'll deal with that when we get there. But it is also the sky. The same word again is used in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 13. The stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs fallen from a tree shaken by a strong wind. We'll look at that at Revelation chapter 6. But it's important to understand that what you're looking at here is you're looking into heaven, a real place, not a mythical place, not an imaginary place. Paul talks about being called up into the third heaven. We talked about that last week and what it meant. He said, I couldn't even speak about the things that I saw and I heard, but here John is being commanded to give us some insight. But what's important is what's in this temple besides the presence of God that when you read the next four books of your Old Testament, when you read Exodus, when you read Leviticus, when you read Numbers and Deuteronomy, that suddenly, and then when you read about the, the, not only the tabernacle, but the building of the temple later, suddenly things begin to connect and why this is so important when it comes to understanding the book of Revelation. Because understanding Revelation next begins with worship at God's throne. Worry is not the key, worship is the key. Worry will not get you anywhere. Worry will close you off to what God wants to teach you and what you want to learn. Worry will short-circuit your life. It will short-circuit your relationships. It will limit your vision of God. It will limit what you can do. Bible says in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 2, I saw a throne in heaven. Someone was sitting on that throne. We talked about that last week. We talked about the appearance of the one who is sitting on that throne. And although John describes what he saw, he doesn't see God yet in his fullness. We talked about how God revealed himself in Christ Jesus, where Jesus would say last week, where Jesus would say, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. And yet when Jesus comes back, John did not even recognize him on the Isle of Patmos because of his resurrected glory. There is much more to this life than what we've experienced yet. The Bible says that no man can look upon God and live. It won't be until we get to heaven that we will be able to gaze upon the fullness of his holiness. You remember those two men who decided they would look inside the Ark of the Covenant and how God slayed them. You remember when another man reached out to steady the Ark of the Covenant because it wasn't being carried as God had prescribed, how God slew him. You know, we've talked about that before and why that happened. But you need to understand the awesome holiness of God. And when people use God's name in vain or go good God or something like that, and they, they use God's name irreverently, you do not understand. You reveal your blind ignorance of the ultimate reality of life. Life has its beginning in God's. And that is so important that John wants us to begin to see that. What did he see? That's the important thing. First of all, what he saw is what I want to point out to you tonight. He was given a foretaste of heaven in worship. He was given a foretaste of heaven in worship. You experience heaven when you enter into worship and praise or praise and worship. You go into a place that sometimes we call come into the holy of holies, enter his gates with singing and thanksgiving. We stand in his presence here tonight. We have come tonight not to hear me, but to hear the word of the Lord. And my only authority for standing here or sitting here tonight is to preach the word of God. The Bible says in Romans 8 and verse 23, we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. And that's the reason why I think it is so important to recognize and understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit enables us to have a foretaste of what's coming. How many of you have ever had a taste of something and you couldn't wait to get the full deal later? Okay? Sure, we all had that. Those are called appetizers or they're called starters, you know? And so, you know, it's kind of wrong to give somebody a starter and then walk away and not give them the full meal. And so, the Holy Spirit is a foretaste but the Holy Spirit enables us to come in, sometimes even to pray when we don't know how to pray. Heaven is pictured as a temple. Then I looked down and I saw, and I may be going too fast here, but I didn't underline everything. Heaven is pictured as a temple. Then I looked and saw that the temple in heaven, God's tabernacle was thrown open wide. That's from Revelation chapter 15. Remember, the Old Testament temple and tabernacle, they were pictures of what was in heaven. There are some things that are key I want you to look at. Then in heaven, 
The temple of God was open and the ark of his covenant could be seen inside the temple. There is, the ark was pictured after what was in heaven. Everybody is seeking for the Ark of the Covenant. How many of you ever saw the old Indiana Jones move? All right, you know exactly what I'm talking about, you know? The book of Jeremiah says it'll never be found. And, I, you know, I'm all for people that want to explore. When I was in Ethiopia and went up to Aksum and wanted to go to Lalibela, you know, they, they want you to believe they have the Ark of the Covenant, that somehow or another Solomon had a son by Sheba and that he stole the Ark of the Covenant and took it to Ethiopia. I think I shared with you while I was meeting with a senator in, in his office, he asked me if I believed that. And I said, no, the Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, it will never be found. But when we get to heaven, we will see the real deal. And that's important. You go, why do I care about the ark? Hang on, and I'll show you why you care about the ark. In front of the throne, there were seven torches with burning flames. You see, in the temple, and I can't sit and talk about this. The temple, all temples, the, all temples were considered, whether you worshiped the Caesar or whether you worshiped Aphrodite or whatever, all temples were considered sacred places. But the Jewish people knew that in the temple, theirs was shut off from outside light so that nothing impure would enter there. And so the lights were symbolic of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So in the Holy of Holies, a sealed off cube, by the way, that the New Jerusalem is modeled after, there would be the light of God. And so you see the seven torches there that the Bible tells us is also the, the, the revelation of the seven spirits of God. You see the gold bowls. You remember all the gold bowls that were made for the tabernacle of the temple. The gold bowls are filled with incense. And incense, in this case, are our prayers. When you and I are praying, it's like incense that rises up before the Lord. And the incense offering was a beautiful, <clears throat> beautiful offering that was meant to indicate adoration and fellowship. And that's why prayer should never just be a grocery list, God bless mama, God bless daddy, God bless my cousins. It should be a time where we come in and we worship God and we tell him of his greatness and his glory. We thank him for his goodness and we wait in his presence because it's like burning a fragrant incense before him. There was also a sea. Then Hiram cast a great basin 15 feet across from rim to rim called the sea. That sea held about 11,000 gallons of water. And in just a moment, I'll tell you why that's important, that this was Saul in heaven and what the sea represents. But again, the Israelites were being given a picture of what heaven was like. God's throne, where you see a throne in the Bible, God's throne is above all thrones, which God's throne means there are absolutes in life. And according to postmodern teaching today, there are no absolutes in life. But God's throne means there is absolute truth, there is absolute justice, there is absolute love. There are absolutes, but God's throne means there is also absolute authority. That we live under the authority of God and that Christ has given us this authority to go forth and minister in the name of Jesus. That throne may not have the same resonance with you and I that it had with the people in the New Testament, but my prayer is that God would restore to us a sense of the awesomeness of what the throne of God is in our life because God's throne and God's authority means that there is security in our life. If there is not an absolute, almighty, all-powerful God reigning in heaven, then all of those headlines that I shared with you from today's paper should worry us then all of those headlines that I just read to you should cause us concern. Then getting on the road should cause you concern. It should cause you concern. What's this life all about? The old songs from the 60s. What's it all about, Alfie? It should concern you because there is an absolute authority. His name is Jehovah. There is absolute security. And you and I, nobody can pluck us from the hand of the Father because he sits upon the throne. Can we give him a hand of praise tonight? Hallelujah. God's throne is a place of all. And that word is so overused today that nobody really understands or grasps the significance. You know, we talk about things being awesome that aren't awesome at all, but all means you just literally fall on your face before the Lord. 
The jasper and the carnelian. Jasper was a clear stone. Carnelian was a red stone. They were the first and the last stones on the breastplate of the high priest. The 12 stones for the 12 tribes of Israel. The jasper stone, the clear stone, represented the purity of God or the holiness of God. And the red stone represented the blood of Christ. And those have a lot of meanings for you and I. The rainbow represents the promises of God. We don't get a half a rainbow in heaven. We get the full deal in heaven, okay? And so it is circles the throne of God. The lightning and the thunder that you just read about represent the judgment of God. You remember how when God revealed himself to to Moses and to the children of Israel, he came down upon the mountain. Look at Exodus 19 and verse 16 with me. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed and a dense cloud came down on the mountain and there was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn. Read the last phrase with me. And all the people trembled. The lightning and thunder represents not only the absolute authority of God, but the judgment of God. Friends, if there is no judgment, then what did Christ have to go to Calvary for? If there is no judgment, then why did Christ have to die for our sins? And most people today who don't understand the gospel, who will question why Jesus is the only way to God, or who question why Jesus had to suffer and bleed and die for our sins, there are two things that they don't understand because of ignorance of the Bible. The Bible says that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, but the Bible says there will come a time where there is a hunger and a thirsting for the word of the Lord, and I want you to be able to share with others what this book means and why Revelation is so important. When we understand the awesomeness of sin and the evil that sin has brought into our world, when we understand how deeply, how deeply in trouble our world is. I just read you seven troubling headlines tonight. I just read you about a peace summit that's coming up between the, uh, the, the country ruled by a man that our president derided as little rocket man, but who has the potential maybe to launch nuclear missiles and to start a world war. I read you the story of Franz Joseph just a moment ago, and the murder of the Archduke started what we know as the Great War that was supposed to end all wars. I tell you, if there is not a God sitting on the throne who has absolute authority and who takes care of us day in and day out, we have a lot to worry about. Cancer is not our biggest problem. Heart disease is not our biggest problem. HIV is not our biggest problem. The biggest problem of this world is an ignorance of why Christ came to die for our sins. And this thunder and lightning recognizes, recognizes the judgment. But judgment doesn't minimize the grace of God. It maximizes the grace of God. When we understand why Christ died for our sins, then we find ourselves wanting to go just like the rest of the heavenly beings. Holy, holy, holy. God is merciful. God is good and God is kind. Can we give him a hand of praise for that tonight? I tell myself every time I come in here, don't get excited, but it's just almost impossible. This to me is, this is rocket fuel. After talking about rocket man, this is rocket fuel for me. The sea that was there that I just read you about, what is the sea? The sea represents the glory and the mystery of God. The sea represents the glory and the mystery of God. I need to read you three passages. One's rather long, so just kind of follow along with me. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal, and in the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. Go back to the book of Ezekiel with me. And there, this is where Ezekiel was seeing heaven, and, and he talks about these beings, and we'll pick up with verse 20. As they stood with wings, Lord, a voice spoke from beyond the crystal surface above them. Now, this crystal surface above them, the word there is it's like ice. And so, you know, he's looking up into the heavens, and it's like ice. But above it was this, this, this throne made of blue lapis lazuli. He sees through the water, and you know how when you see through the water, things tend to change shape and change color. And on this throne, high above, was a figure whose parents resembled a man. You see how similar this is to Revelation chapter 4? Well, let's just skip on to the next one because of time tonight. Revelation chapter 15, if you'll go to that verse for me. Well, in Revelation chapter 15, he sees, and we'll, when we get there, we'll talk about it, but I want you to be prepared for understanding what the sea is all about. I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire, and on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast. 
and his statue and the number representing his name. Now, let me stop. Don't take the verse down from the screen. Let me stop. The sea represents the mystery and the majesty of God because in the Bible, the sea always represents sin and evil. Now, it's just a symbol. The sea is not a bad thing. The sea is a good thing. We, we're grateful for the oceans that God has given us. But you know the beast comes out of the sea. You know all the things that come up out of the sea. And the Bible uses some symbolism. Again, like I said, you understand the golden arches. Symbolism that people will have understood. We will get to that. But when you see the saints standing on the sea, they're standing on top of what God has given us authority over. Our Lord God will soon crush Satan underneath our feet. And what they're standing upon is the evil of this world. The throne of God says, all of the evil of this world must bow before my name. And what bows before the Lord that is evil, you and I will walk upon and tread upon. Can we give him another hand of praise for that tonight? It's a powerful image. They were all holding harps that God had given them, and they were all singing the song of Moses. I'm going all the way back to Exodus, and the song of the Lamb, great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations, who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, and all nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. Now, let's look at the four living beings, because the four living beings represent all creation, but they also represent governments. The number four in the Bible is symbolic of governments. And so it's important that you understand what you're looking at here, these four living beings. Attending him, uh, from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2, attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. How many of you remember what was on top of the Ark of the Covenant? Cammy? Right. The Bible tells us that God is enthroned on the praises of his people. God is enthroned. They, they look to the ark as being that place. God is enthroned between those cherubim. Look at 1 Samuel. I don't think this is in your outline tonight. I just had so much, we didn't want to just send you with too much. So write down for Samuel 4 4. So they sent men to Shiloh to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord's he heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. Then write down 2 Kings chapter 19 and verse 15. And Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord. O Lord God of Israel, you are enthroned between the mighty cherubim. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. This is important because all of this temple and tabernacle furniture that you read about in the Old Testament, you're seeing it in heaven. It had symbolism. And when people tell me, oh, I just get so bogged down when it comes to reading the Old Testament and the tabernacle and the temple and the offerings is because we don't understand how Christ fulfilled those. And when we understand how Christ fulfilled those, as a matter of fact, I just got a call before church from somebody asking me some questions about the Old Testament and just had a ball talking with him. I mean, literally, just before I walked in here, I hung up the phone and put my mic on and about what the Old Testament means and how we learn and grow from it. And when you understand what Christ did for you, then Sunday's message makes even more sense. It's why we call grace amazing. Well, the lion was the wild beast. He was the regal beast. He's also used as a symbol of royalty. He's also used as a symbol of Christ. The ox was the domestic beast. The man represents the wisest of all people, and the eagle represents the flying creatures. It's just saying that all the governments of this world, whether the natural or whether the created, uh, excuse me, of human governments, God is in charge of all of that. When you look at the wings, the wings just simply mean that those winged beings, if you, if you remember reading, if you read Ezekiel and Isaiah and you're familiar with those passages, it's the quickness and it's the availability of these servants of God to do his bidding. It's what we want to be. When the Lord speaks, we don't want to hesitate. We want to move, right? Because if you don't move when the cloud moves, if you were in the children, with children of Israel and you were in the desert, you might go, boy, this is a really nice place. I would never think of taking my wife on a vacation just to spend in the desert. Now, you might. Well, I, I'm just telling you, Becky and I don't want to go spend a week where there's no trees and no water and there's just sand and rocks. But God can make the desert blossom like a rose, 
But when the cloud moves and honey says, baby doll, we're not moving. This is a nice place to be. When the cloud moves, it's a desert again. And you've got to understand that. This is the quickness and the availability. You will always be happiest doing the will of God. That's exactly what this is looking at. The eyes represent, covered with eyes, represented perception and understanding of all things, intelligence. They knew what was going on in the world because they were before the throne of God. The sons of Issachar knew what Israel should do. They understood the times, the Bible says. People who worship God day in and day out, you will have a greater understanding and a greater perception of the times than people who do nothing but read the newspaper and history books alone. And so it's why it's so vital that we we not quit reading our newspapers and we not quit being involved in the world, but we begin our day and we close our day with worship. And the fact that they never stopped worshiping the Creator, that was what they were created to do. And as I said last week, the Westminster Confession says that our chief end is to know God and to enjoy Him forever. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait for us to come to the altar and just spend some time in worship this evening. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And then the 24 elders, they represent the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles. Now, some people, I'll just toss this out. I disagree with this, but I want to toss it out because I do think it's important to say some people think these are angels. I explained last week why I don't think these are angels, but the reason they think they're angels is because they're dressed in white. But in the Bible, crowns were never given to angels. Crowns were given to human beings. And these people, the way they worship, I think they represent the 12 tribes of Israel, and they also represent the 12 apostles. And what they do is they dressed in white, which is priestly garments, which is purity garments that are given to them. We have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The crowns of gold, we know, are the trine of our faith that we cast down before the Lord, and then they fall down and lay down their crowns and they worship Him. So what does this say to us before we get to chapter, because Revelation chapter 4 and 5 really should not have been divided. The little monk who divided up our Bible into chapters and verses to make it easier to, to memorize and understand, most scholars agree this should be, be one chapter right here. So if, you know, if I was preaching one chapter that was Revelation 4 and 5, there would be four messages on Revelation 4. So you'll get two messages on Revelation 5, just like you're doing here. But the point is, what do we do with this? First of all, we're understanding that we honor God by talking about Him, by talking to Him, and by serving Him. We honor God by talking about Him, talking to Him, and serving Him. You see, what you are getting, what John is getting a picture of is the worship that goes on in heaven. And when you talk about God, you bring peace and you bring hope. It may bring conviction, but if conviction is needed, that's a good thing. My daughter's, whenever something's right or good, she'll go, that's a good thing. But if it brings conviction to someone who needs conviction, that's a good thing. But it may also be like someone who was just with us uh, three weeks ago, walked out of our church that had a lapsed relationship with the Lord, had just wandered away from Christ, walked out of our church and just went, I felt the presence of God again. And by your worshiping the Lord and our talking about the Lord Jesus that Sunday morning, walked out of here with a renewed relationship with Jesus Christ. It's like somebody Sunday morning. We had five people give their hearts to Jesus Christ here Sunday morning. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? I mean, that was... I was flying high as a kite when I left church on Sunday, but he walked out of the service and he goes to me, he says, I've never encountered anything like I encountered when those those band members stood up and they sang. I've never been to church where people sang and smiled the way they sang. And so I talked to him for a little bit and... It just, obviously, this was very, very informal compared to where he had been. He says, I just stopped going to church because it didn't mean anything, but this meant something. When you talk about God and what he's done in your life, you don't have to talk down to people. You don't have to try to convict people. But when you talk about what God has done in your life, friends, Something is happening in them because God's Spirit is bearing witness with your words because you talk about Him. And when you talk to God, talk to God about what He's done in your life. 
Talk to God and tell God what he reveals to you from his word. I mean, when you see this, Lord, I just thank you that you are, if, if I was praying tonight, right now, I would just go, Lord, I am so grateful that you're on the throne. I'm so grateful that you're in charge and you're in control. Those aren't just words for me. I believe that. And Lord, I am so grateful that your appearance is, is pure. You're holy. You're not like these gods who demanded human sacrifices. You're not like these idols who demand high interest rates. You're not like these idols that demand that other people serve them. But you came in your purity and your holiness and you served us and you washed our feet. And Lord, I thank you. I don't know how you did it, but I thank you that you sent your son, conceived of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit, and he shed that royal blood for my sins. Lord, I thank you tonight that I get to kneel and that one day I will stand on that glassy sea. I thank you that even tonight I have the authority of Christ to pray for the sick. I have the authority of Christ in Jesus' name when you come against demonic oppression to pray against that and see people set free. You can do that because you are covered by the blood of Jesus and you are filled with the Holy Spirit. God has given you his name to pray in. Can we give him a hand of praise for that tonight? That's what it means to talk about him. But then to serve him is to go out and do what Jesus did, to feed the hungry, to help the hopeless, to, 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 to serve one another and to love each other and not seek to be served. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 3, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. And there are different kinds of service. But we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. And a spiritual gift is given to how many of us? Jesus. How many of us? Jesus. Do you have a spiritual gift? Amen. Yes, you do. And what are we supposed to do with that spiritual gift? Help each, Help each other. You see, that's the kind of testimony that stands up. I wasn't just being nice about our community. I meant every word I said about our community. But sitting in the township meeting today and looking at those people who were serving, and especially the one doctor that I had the chance to sit with he and his wife and to talk with them and to hear their faith and to talk with them about Christ, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, nothing gives a more dramatic testimony to the goodness and glory of God and then when a young man who used to go to our church was honored today as well, he looked up and he said, and I want to thank Pastor Clanton for he taught us how to serve God and to serve each other. I learned that at Woodland Church. And I want you to know when you do that, God is glorified and suddenly Jesus is beautiful in the eyes of people because they don't see religion. They see the reality and the power of the gospel being manifested in your life. And so my closing statement tonight as we get ready to come to the altar, Mark, is when I know God, I mean, when I know God, I'm not just talking about God, but when I know God, it puts all my problems in proper perspective when I get before the throne, no matter what it is. Amen? Amen. Are you ready to come to the altar and pray? If not, I have failed. So I want you to stand and let's come. If you need to go, please leave quietly, but just come and bring your notes and let's come and spend some time in prayer this evening before the Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, we want to come into the Holy of Holies tonight. We want to come into your presence and kneel at your feet and kneel at the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Lord, I thank you for all the promises that you have made to us. I thank you that they're all yes and amen in Christ. I thank you for the promise of a new life. I thank you for the promise of freedom from sin and oppression. 
I thank you for the power to break the chains that have bound us to harmful habits. Lord, to awful attitudes. I thank you for the promises of God that are yes and amen in Christ. That when we seek you, we shall find you. When we search for you diligently, Lord, we shall find you. I thank you for the new heart, the promise of a new heart. And even in here tonight, you're writing that word upon our hearts. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I thank you for promises of healing and deliverance of safety. I thank you for promises, Lord, of guidance and direction, for promises of illumination. I thank you for the light of God, for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for your promises. But most of all, I thank you for yourself that I can know you. I thank you for Jesus. Oh, for Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus who invites us, come up hither. Jesus who knocks on our door tonight and says, if you'll open, I'll come in and we'll have dinner together as friends. Hallelujah. Welcome, Jesus. Welcome, Jesus. Welcome, Jesus. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your blood that cleanses. Hallelujah. And oh Lord, I thank you that all authority in heaven and earth belongs to you. <laughs> Nothing shakes the peace of God. Nothing shakes the love of God. Nothing shakes the power of God. And nothing moves the plan of God for all the authority in heaven and earth have been given to you. And I thank you, Lord, that if not a sparrow falls from the sky or a hair from my head, then how much more are your eyes upon our lives tonight? Mm, mm, mm. Oh, why don't you just lift your hands to him while you're kneeling tonight and thank him thank him that there is nothing impure or defiled or evil nothing malevolent the holiness of God flows out his love and his peace his compassion and his grace he has taken mindfulness of us and he's considered us and he's loved us and he draws us to himself. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Holy, holy, holy. <laughs> holy, holy, holy. And oh Lord, I thank you that Satan has been defeated that his power has been broken. And I thank you, Lord, that he has been contained. <laughs> I thank you that he has been chained. I thank you that Christ 
leads captivity captive, Lord. I thank you, Lord, tonight that our prayers rise up as incense before you. But they also rise up in praise and adoration, but they rise up as testimony that our God reigns. You have defeated the wicked one. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I thank you that we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to be able to come into the presence of God Almighty and into the Holy of Holies. Hallelujah. Caesar wanted to be worshipped as Lord. Demonic powers wanted to be worshipped as Lord. But there is none like the Lord our God. He is a rock. He is the rock of our salvation. Hallelujah. 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 Holy is the Lord. Oh, Jesus. And so tonight I ask you, bring your burdens and bring your cares right now to the throne of God and leave them there. All creation cries out, holy, holy, holy. When I went for my run this morning, I looked at the trees, the clouds, and thought all creation, the trees of the field lift their hands, the stars shout out. Just leave your burden there tonight. Tell it to him. And then trust him, as he said to a suffering church, as he said to a poor church, he's going to make you more than an overcomer tonight. He's going to make you more than an overcomer. And one day, you and I will cast our crowns at his feet. For the old and the new covenant meet in Christ. Israel and the church meet together through the Messiah, through the Lord Jesus. And we cry out, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That our worship tonight and our study of your word, that our prayer together and our benediction song has risen like incense to thee. And may you bless us now with strength and peace and a supreme confidence as we leave this sanctuary tonight. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. And that everything else, Lord, that we tend to worry about, we can be at peace about for our God reigns. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. God bless you. Good night. I love you so much.